The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, Tommy's here. I'm here. Um, lots to get to, and we will do it uh, starting with this. John McClain, who writes uh, for the Houston Chronicle um, and has covered Houston sports for 45 years. Um, you know, a lot happens sometimes between the end of the radio show and the time that we get together, and we're getting together late today. It's because of me. Um, I had shit to do, and I kept you waiting, and so I apologize for that. You've been – let me just um, – I didn't plan on doing this. Let me just tell everybody that for someone who has, for the most part, um, during the uh, roughly 15 years that I've known him, someone who's typically not very patient, he's been really patient with me on this podcast when he's been in Florida. Because I'll tell him, hey, let's uh, start recording at 10, and then I'm not there at 10, and I'm like, I'm running a few minutes late. And you've been great. I want to. I just want to acknowledge that, and tell you just how accommodating you've been, and how patient you've been. Because it's not. It's not one of your great strengths um, to be uh, super patient. But you have been with me, so I appreciate that. Well, this just this just shows how little you know about me. <laughs> I have this hidden. I have this hidden side that's very patient. Uh, actually, today we have moved the Fortress of Solitude to Sarasota. Yesterday. We drove from Destin to Sarasota, so we're in Sarasota this week. I love Sarasota. Uh, you told me that you were going to Sarasota. Uh, it's where, and I think I said this to Cooley on the podcast, if I didn't tell you on the podcast last week, I know you know this, my father's been in the hospital for several days down near Sarasota. Um, you can stop by and visit him now that you've been vaccinated. You got to be vaccinated to to uh, to to go see him. Um, he's doing well, by the way. But uh, I love that Great, area. That's good news. I love that area. That that you know that that circle that you know Armand or Armand Circle area, and you know heading out to um, Longboat Key. It's beautiful down there. Yeah, it is. We got in about five thirty, six o'clock, and there's about four or five bars and restaurants within walking distance of a really nice old-school motel we're staying in. There's a heated pool right outside our door. The beach is just a short walk away, so it's all good. Life is So what 
Well, how could I not be patient? Life is good. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you've got you've you've really chilled out as we've spent the winter up here. And February was sort of a cold m- month. But are the bars that you um, have gone to in that Armand's Circle area? No, no, they're they're right in Siesta Key. Oh God, beautiful, uh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and, and one of them, I, actually, I had uh, uh, pretzels and beer trees last night with a couple of. Uh, Stellas. You so, know, and then and then went night swimming. Are you staying in Siesta Key? Yes. Now, d- correct me if I'm wrong. I may be wrong about this, but I think that the thing that Siesta Key and Longboat Key, to a lesser extent, that they're known for having just the whitest and the powdery, softest sand of any beaches in Florida. Did you know that? Well, I I didn't know that. I haven't gotten a chance to see the sand yet. That's where we're heading this afternoon, right down the road. Oh, right so you went swimming? You went night swimming in a pool last night? In the in, in the heated pool in the right heated outside pool. our door. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty down there. Definitely. All right. Well, good. I'm, that's a nice. That's a nice spot, and uh, and hopefully you'll have a good time. So anyway, I started with you know sometimes when the radio show ends, and the podcast starts, there's some news, and I thought this news was was rather interesting. This this. Do you know this guy McLean from the Houston Chronicle? Yeah, he's a legend. I mean, not only is he a legend in sports writing, you know, he's been in about thirty or forty movies. He has been. Why? He has. I don't know why, but he's been in, and I'm not talking about the Bruce Willis, John McClane character. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, but he has literally been in a bunch of movies as an extra, small speaking roles, and I don't know how that's come to pass, but I do know that about him. Um, he reported this morning that five teams have called the Houston Texans about quarterback Deshaun Watson, but Washington is not one of them. So uh, Washington, we know, made an offer to Detroit for Matt Stafford. We believe, based on reporting, that Washington has expressed to the Raiders' interest in Marcus Mariota, and perhaps there have even been conversations about Marcus Mariota. Um, But they have not reached out, or they're not one of the five teams that have reached out about Deshaun Watson. Now, two things struck me about this news. Number one is that it's only five teams. Number two is that Washington wasn't one of them. But when I put the two together, what I figure is this. Most teams realize that he's not going to be available. That it's like a waste of time to go down that path because he's not going to be made available. Which, by the way... Are you sticking with that? Yeah, definitely. Because John McClain says, like they got to trade him. I know what he says, but what they do, he's not saying that they will trade him. He's, he's saying that uh, he, 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 he thinks they should trade him. Am I right okay. about that or, or wrong? I don't know. I didn't hear the interview. I just know the excerpts that were posted on social media. And, I mean, the excerpt that was posted, whether it's accurate or not, where he said they, they've got to trade him. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm reading one of his columns right now. Um, and at the end, 
It says uh, McLean can be heard six times on the on the Texans' flagship uh, uh, sports radio station, Sports Radio Six Ten. He also does a weekly sports talk show in Nashville, Knoxville, Waco, Austin, and San Antonio. McLean <laughs> has also appeared in eight movies. I knew it. It was. I mean, I go up to thirty or forty. But it, he's got this little. You want me? To, you want me to make the list? You want you want the list of movies? Sure. Can you name any of them? No, I can't off the top of my head. The, They're not good buddies or anything. The rookie. I just know about. He him. was in the rookie. He was in the longest okay. yard. I'm going to assume it's the second version of the longest yard, the Adam Sandler yeah. version. Spring Breakers, Secretariat, Invincible, Cook County, The Game Plan. And make it rain. Eight, go. eight movies for John McClane. You know, that's, that's, that's seven more movies than I've been in. He's also a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee. Um, and he is in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. There you go. He has had quite a career, and he's still kicking ass and taking names from what I gather. It the, the five teams seems like a low number of teams, which leads me to believe that the teams that haven't reached out to Houston are teams that believe, A, either he's not really available, or B, the price is just going to be too high for them. I would think there's a lot of B. I mean, you know, I'm the kind of guy that You'll, if I know something's going to be too expensive, I'm not even going to try to make a call <laughs> yeah. on, on anything. You know? <laughs> right. You know, when when there's something that you really want that you think is too expensive, call me and I'll help you. I'll help you haggle that deal, maybe down to a, a number that you can live with. See, I knew you would be the opposite. I I I'm definitely gonna. I, I would I would be your best. You know what? I actually would be a very good agent for you and for some of the people that we've worked with. But that's not my job. Um, cause sometimes, and I say that, and I'm being serious here for a moment, I'm not saying it's specific to me. Sometimes I think that some of the people that we've worked with over the years don't advocate enough on their own behalf or don't have somebody that, that advocates well on their behalf. I've never had an agent. You don't have an agent, but a lot of the people right. that we work with have agents. I'm not knocking. Well, here's a, Go ahead. Here's the mistake that people make. Uh, you know, advocating for yourself. And I've been guilty of this as, as much as anybody. Is some people think their good work will speak for itself. And it won't. I'm not, you know, I'm not really talking about a self-promotional thing. I'm talking about... No, that's not even... No, I'm talking about with your own employer, with, with uh, you know, with negotiating. Yeah, but... I mean, somebody, somebody people think they're... Their good work speaks for itself, and it doesn't usually. But see, that's the mistake. The mistake is yes. never to ask for what you want to ask for based on what you've done. It's always about what you are going to do and what you are going to provide. You know, that, that, that's a mistake that I think probably a lot of people make is when you go in to negotiate a new deal, a contract extension or an employment deal or whatever – you know, obviously you get to a certain point and it's about what you've done to a certain extent. But an employer with somebody who, you know, it's a real negotiation. And by the way, the employer isn't necessarily concerned about potentially losing them 
if they don't agree to the same number. It's about what you're going to do for them. You've already done what you've done. They've already paid you for that. You know, they want they want to know that you're going to do that plus more. It's advice I got a long, long time ago, well, and it's all it it's sense. always worked out when I've when I've approached it that way. But ba- back to back to just the agents. Like I've never, I mean, I'm not going to mention anybody anybody by name, but there are a lot of people that we've worked with, or people who are in the same business. I would say most everybody we work with has an agent, right? Am I right or wrong about that? I don't even know. I think so. I've never had an agent. I've never had an agent. Now I can understand um, having an agent potentially if you are constantly looking for a new gig and maybe outside of the market, you know, and maybe that person can, you know, um, hey, bring you a deal, bring you, you know, a deal from a station or a newspaper or something that you would have never thought about. But being here locally, knowing that I'm, I'm never going to move to do this. This was a second professional career for me anyway. Um, I mean, I sort of know all the players, right? So yes. unless I'm uncomfortable. Now, I've had, I've had a literary agent when I was writing books a lot. Uh, but uh, What do that, they, what do, they do? What do they books. do? Well, they, I mean, a lot of times publishers won't talk to, directly to writers. Like, if you're a writer and you have a book idea, you I mean, the way the system works, or at least the way it worked when I did it a lot, is you got to get an agent because they're not going to, the publishers are not going to take your calls. Got it. They'll listen to an agent because they figure an agent is not going to waste their time because an agent is not going to waste their own time on a project that they're not going to get paid on. Right. That makes so, That makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, you need an agent to open the doors, and, and that agent brought me some books out of the blue that I never would have thought of. Right. You know, some of the books were my ideas, like the book about uh, extreme championship wrestling. That wasn't my idea. That was WWE was looking for a writer to write this book. So, yeah, well, that makes know, sense. My agent came to me on that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and for... You know, take sports talk radio. There are a lot of guys that have gone from job to job, market to market, and they've got an agent that's saying, oh, you know what? Your deal here is about to end. Um, I got you a deal in Cleveland that's going to pay you 30% more if you want to move there and do it. You know, that just was never – in fact, it's funny. I think most of the top markets, you know, if you take, say, the top 10 markets – um, for, for what we do. More times than not, the people that do it are either from there or they've been there so long, like in your case, or they're former athletes from that town that are involved in it. And it, there's actually a link between sort of having a real true understanding of the market and the teams, et cetera, and being able to do it to a level in which you can attract an audience. You know, if you bring somebody in from a different market to do a, 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 a DC sports talk show and he doesn't know anything about the skins or wizards or caps or gnats and he's starting from scratch, you know, it's, that's hard. It's a hard thing. Just yeah. like if you and I went, yeah, if you and I went to Houston, be a hard thing. But, um, anyway, uh, I've always felt like, you know, look, the, the, the contracts, to be honest with you are so boilerplate. 
Um, secondly, the negotiation typically isn't that complex. So why would I want to give four, five, six percent of it to somebody else who probably can't pitch me the way I can pitch me? I don't know. It, you know what? It works differently for everybody, I guess. And people have a certain comfort level and others, you know, are uncomfortable doing that and would rather have somebody else, you know, sort of an intermediary. And I'm sure that's worked out. Maybe it would have worked out better for me. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but anyway, the... Uh, so if you, were in a, if you were a GM and you knew the price for Deshaun Watson was high and you knew you weren't going to pay that high price, you would still call about him. Uh, yeah, I would, first of all, I would, I would talk to anybody about anything to learn and use it as, you know, a way to have as much information about anything as I could possibly have. If, but you know, if they weren't, if they're not interested, they don't call. If they think there's zero chance, but they're interested, I would call. Okay. I would. I'd find I'd want to know what it was going for because I'd want to be able to compare it to anything else. Now, you know, the Deshaun Watson thing really is going to be such a unique thing. I mean, it will, Tommy, if he is traded, it will be one of the all-time unique trades. A top five quarterback at 25 years old, top five, top six elite quarterback at 25 years old, who, by the way, just signed a long-term deal, yeah. so you've got him under contract. Yeah, it's not like he's near the end of his deal. Yeah. He's assigned to stay there. So. Um, anyway. All right. Uh, so um, let's start with Alex Smith. Uh, it's not official yet, as far as I can tell. Um, I think it could be official here in the next 24 hours or certainly by the end of the week. Um, Alex Smith isn't going to be here. For those of you who have said, do you think there's any chance they would re-sign him after they release him? I don't. I personally don't. I think they're going to move on from him. Um, I guess Ian Rappaport had the news first yesterday that Washington was going to move on, but Jeremy Fowler was on with me on Friday and suggested that Alex and and the team would be um, meeting this week, or his representatives and their representatives would be meeting this week, and that, you know, a resolution, and I said, well, what do you think that resolution will be? And he said, I think they're going to release him. Um, This, you know, shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. There was no way on earth that at $24.4 million, he was going to be here on that deal. Um, but I think, you know, I think Washington's going to move on. And I would ask you, you know, um, what I asked actually my callers this morning, and I'll answer it after you do. But the question is, you know, how will um, Alex Smith be remembered for his time here? For his comeback. For his personal comeback. That's it. That's big. I mean, you know, but but that's it. I mean, you know, there there are people who I swear did not watch this team play football who are convinced that Alex Smith, if he was the quarterback for the Washington football team, they'd win double digit double digit seasons every year. Double digit wins. Because his his one loss record it's great. If that's the way we're judging it, it's like eleven and five or something like that, you know. So, but it's such a misleading number that is not an accurate reflection of his value uh, at, at quarterback for this team. 
So I think ultimately he'll be remembered as a terrific guy who had the country rooting for him and therefore Washington football with his comeback. Uh, and then once the comeback was over, he's of no use to you anymore. <laughs> now he's just another <clears throat> quarterback. I think we totally agree. I mean, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, 20 years from now, he's going to be remembered for the comeback. He's going to be remembered for the injury and then the comeback from the injury. Yeah. You know, that's it. You know, that's that's what he's going to be remembered for. I, I mean, one of my. And you fi- can't take that away from him. That, that's tremendous. Coach Thompson, uh, you know, used to have this expression, you know, it's this guy, and then you count five steps to get to the next guy. You know, th- I remember him specifically saying that about several people, but Elgin Baylor in particular, greatest high school basketball player in the history of D.C. Coach Thompson said, it's Elgin Baylor, and then you count five steps to get to whoever, whomever's number two. Same thing with this. It's the injury and the comeback from the injury, and then you count five steps to get to whatever else you're going to think of. Because try to think of an actual on-field moment that was memorable with Alex Smith in his 16 games. You know, the yeah, I would say that I'll remember them stopping Pittsburgh's 11-0 start on a weird Monday afternoon in late November you know, where he started and they were down and he led him back and he had a really good game in the second half and they won that game. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to remember that game. I'm also going to remember that game for the deflection and the interception by Montez Sweat at the end. Um, he doesn't have – he's got the, – the memorable game that he played in was the game that he got injured in, you know. And that's not yeah. to say that he didn't do things here – that should be and are appreciated by many of you and me too. You know, he was influential, you know, on the field. He was influential in the locker room. He, there was, there were, it's a very interesting conversation, Alex Smith in Washington is, you know, because on one hand, I think at this point, and I don't know if we would have definitely said this before this year, but there was a leadership and intangible locker room influence, positive influence that he had that was important to them winning some games to finish seven and nine and, you know, luckily being in a terrible division, qualify for the postseason. But if you were watching him play in 2018 or this year, there wasn't at any point, even if you were the biggest Alex Smith fan, that you could have said to yourself, wow, he's really good. Wow, they are they're really good offensively. They got a chance to go to the Super Bowl or they got a chance to to go deep into the playoffs. Not one game that he played before the injury or after would I ever say they were that he was dynamic or the offense was great with him. Jay Gruden told me Tommy on the podcast. He said, you know, what we got was first of all a great guy, tough guy, uh, you know, a terrific game manager. You know, nothing dynamic, game managing quarterback. Don't turn it over, and he didn't that year. And they got off to a six and four no, start. Didn't. They were six and yeah. four. Yeah. I, I say six and uh, four. Did you notice that? Yes, that's right. Everybody says six and three, but I think if he <laughs> hadn't gotten three. hurt, it was six and four. Um, who knows oh, where it was going? They were down go- what? They were down. They were down what? Twelve seven, seven, seventeen like six or seventeen seven something like that. Yeah. He threw the pick six yeah. at the end of the half. Wasn't one of his better but, games. Uh, but Rivera, I mean, look, 
Alex Smith is a very likable guy. We can assume that. We don't know him, but he seems very likable. From all accounts, he was very important in the locker room. He was, in, in, in many ways, he was a coach's dream. There's no reason for Ron Rivera to disrespect Alex Smith in any way, shape, or form. He probably loved him for a lot of reasons. Yet Ron Rivera came out and said that Kyle Allen could have done the same thing. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so there you go. That's what the coach thinks of what Ron Rivera really accomplished this year on the field. Yeah, I, you know, the way you said it, it sounds, I think, more harsh than it really is, but I've referred to it many times, too. Like, it was, it was certainly something to, you know, sit up for and say, whoa, because he wasn't asked a question about Kyle Allen. He threw it in right. there, you know. He didn't need to. Um, um, and so, and at the same time, after the first half against the Rams, in which if you had held a vote of the fan base, should he play again, 99.999% of the fans would say, please, God, no. And Ron Rivera said, you know, we've seen a lot in practice that leads us to believe that Alex can play. And so he's going to remain the backup. And sure enough, when he came back in against the Giants, played pretty well, and then you know continued to to play pretty well. So again, I go back to the conversation we had the other day. Ultimately, they didn't they didn't have to give him the chance. They were taking a risk in giving him a chance. They gave him a chance in part because they didn't have many options, but also in part because Ron Rivera saw something in practice. So did Scott Turner that they thought he might be able to do this, even though they were taking a big risk. And so it benefited both parties. It benefited both of them. And, and, and what was really beneficial to both is that he didn't get seriously hurt again. Do you think he'll start someplace? No. Neither do I. And he, is he going to sign as a backup somewhere? I mean, if he wants to play, then you don't go to Jacksonville with Urban Meyer and back up Trevor Lawrence, even though that seems like an obvious destination because of their relationship. You go to – you hope that Matt Nagy, who coached you when you were in Kansas City is on, as part of Andy Reid's staff, wants you in Chicago and gives you a chance to compete with Nick Foles and anybody else they bring in. You know, the, I don't see a lot of options for Alex Smith. But I'm also – I. I would also say this. I don't – I'm not going to – I would never wager against him starting next year because I would have already lost a ton of money. And I, you know yeah. – Fool me once, point. shame on you. Fool me twice, yeah. shame Look, on I me. Hope he, I hope he gets what he wants. I think, it's, I think personally, and my personal opinion about Alex Smith handles his life is, is, means nothing. I don't know what he's trying to accomplish at this point. I mean, what he's, what he's been through uh, and everything he went through and to get back on the field, I would I would take my hand, fold it up, and leave the game. If I really thought I could still play and at 37 years old looked around the league and saw these guys playing into their 40s and at a high level, and I thought that you know the doctors are telling me I'm getting healthier, healthier, and healthier, and that really next year it's going to be a marked difference between my health this year and you know next year, and I really love the game and I really love being a part of it. I, I you know. 
I, I don't know. I can understand that to a certain degree, I think. I mean, not because of personal experience, but, you know, he's a competitor and he loves it clearly and he likes being a part of the team and he likes contributing to a team. And, you know, look, Tommy, 37 still really a young person. You know, it's not in sports, but he's a really young person. And, like, you know, is he ready to become a broadcaster or a media guy? By the way, did you see this comment that he made after the GQ story where they took some of – they took him to YouTube and they um, they opened him up for questions from fans and somebody asked him about the football team being the name. Did you see what he said to that? It was something uh, critical of the old name, right? He read a comment um, on YouTube and then said, football team is the best name ever. He was being sarcastic. Even if you are sober, you sound like a drunk when you scream football team. And then he said... Well, it's better to sound like a drunk than a racist. Oof. Actually, let me let me Ooh. let me clarify that. He was reading a comment on YouTube. The comment was football team is the best ever. Even if you are sober, you sound like a drunk when you scream football team. And then his response with a chuckle was quote, Well, it's better to sound like a drunk than a racist, closed quote. Uh, and then he said, don't know really where to go with this one. I actually listened to it. There was a little bit of a laugh, but there's, it's also clear that, you know, he thinks the name is a racist name, which I thought of um, about just him hanging out with Dan Snyder as much as he did over, you know, the last year and a half. And, you know, prior to the name, prior to them losing the name, um, you know, Dan obviously didn't want to get rid of it. And then given that Alex and Dan became sort of close, I guess, I wonder if Alex had any input on this. Yeah, I wonder too. I, I highly doubt it. And, you know, it should be noted, he played for the Chiefs for a couple of years before he came to play for Washington. It's not like like he played for one of the uh, golden teams uh, of, uh, you know, the, the name controversy. Uh, yeah, hey Alex, they, what they did you think? The tomahawk yeah. What did you think tomahawk about the tomahawk shop? shop? The open yeah. eighty thousand at Arrowhead, openly mocking Native Americans. How did you feel about that? Whatever, I don't want to get. Look, I want to. I want to yeah. get back to what, just one thing that you talked about. How being, you know, thirty-seven, uh, he's very competitive. He still thinks he can play, but nobody. There may be one or two people in our lifetime. I should be more open to the danger of the game than Alex Smith. Nobody should be more open to what can happen to you playing this game than Alex Smith. And I think to continue that risk based on his knowledge is foolish. You, you, you take this path a lot. And by the way, I'm not saying that it's not sound advice, you know, if he were to come to you as an advisor. And by the way, he's intelligent enough to be able to understand what you're saying. Like, hey, no one should know more than you about the dangers of this game. Look at how much money you've made. Why would you want to take that risk? But I just think you, 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 you miss on what got these guys to this position to begin with. They're they're just not they're they're addicted to it. It's a rush. Um, and oh, I know that. I look at I covered boxing. I've seen boxers go through this all the time. Boxers have to be dragged out of the ring 
even when they retire, they all come back and have to look. Nobody knows this better than me. What they should do and what they will do are two different things. Yeah, I think boxing is different than football, though. I, I think I, I you're think, talking about the same idea that people are addicted to. Yeah, it, no, that's that, 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 that's he, fair. He, but I, what I'm saying to you is that I think he, you know, I think he likes just being around it. He likes being a part of a team. He likes contributing in a lot of ways, more so on the field than anywhere else. But he wants to continue to be a part of this. Whereas a fighter, so then he'll have no problem being a backup someplace. Then, uh, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I have no idea whether or not he's thinking, "Hey, I'm going to be better next year, and I'm going to be healthier next year." I played pretty well last year, not at a hundred percent. If I'm at a hundred percent, I can be back where I was. The problem with where he was in 2018 is that. You know, this, again, sounds overly critical, but he was never a difference maker as a quarterback. He was never a threat to take a team to a Super Bowl. I know he quarterbacked, you know, in San Francisco in an NFC championship game. And then the next year, the head coach thought it was better that Colin Kaepernick end up starting. And and Kaepernick took that team to the Super Bowl. Alex Smith lost his job when he got injured, never got it back. Um, You know, Alex Smith has been... Pre-injury, he was a quarterback in that 14 to 18 range. Top, you know, right around the the midway point of the league as a starting quarterback. I didn't have a problem when they traded for him, um, but I did have a problem with the contract extension. That was my position at the time. I, you know, you and I talked a lot about this. I do think that this was a move made by Bruce Allen you know, and by the way, we have found out over the years, including a couple of weeks ago with Jay Gruden, that it was made without any sort of consultation yeah. with, you know, a Super Bowl MVP quarterback in Doug Williams or a head coach who also was, if he had, oh, he had flaws, but one of his strengths was offensive football and quarterbacking. And so, you know, this was made because. He was trying to make people forget about how badly they fucked up the Kirk Cousins situation. And again, for those of you that are going to roll your eyes and say, here he goes again, I'm not talking about whether or not you believe Kirk was the right answer or the wrong answer at quarterback. He fucked it up because he didn't trade him after he franchised him and then offered him $30 million less. He should have traded him when he decided to lowball him for a second time and he realized that Kirk wasn't going to stay. He could have gotten a first-round pick from the 49ers. And so when he bungled that, and by the way, was surprised that people in the media were calling him out on it, he was, Tommy, and angry about it, just so you know, angry that people were saying, $54 $54 million isn't even close. You're way off. And if you're going to offer that, just trade him. And when you did offer it and then you threw him under the bus, please trade him. He had to do something in that offseason with or without the you know, uh, approval of Doug Williams or Jay Gruden to say, hey, don't worry about that other guy. He, you know... I know he's getting way overpaid. Look what we got. We got Alex Smith. Yeah, you got him for a third well, and, Ken, and Kendall Fuller, and then you, you gave him $94 million. Well, apparently, maybe through that whole time with Kirk Cousins, 
Bruce was busy on the phone calling one of his buddies or texting. Because based <laughs> on the John Moe conversation, he must do that all the time. Hey, he must be like a 13-year-old girl on the phone with his friends all the time, texting, calling. Well. Maybe he, would, he, didn't, he wasn't paying attention. John Skipper? The John Skipper call? Oh, my goodness. That was an all-timer. We don't know. We don't know if it was him or not. Well, it could have been some. Of it. Oh, yeah. could have been somebody capable certainly associated with him. For those of yeah. you, that is very inside. But there was a certain show that launched on our station several years ago. And it wasn't a show that. Hallelujah. <laughs> it wasn't a show that many people were bullish about because um, there was a lot of inexperience, good guys, a lot of inexperience. And there was uh, a famous story where um, the CEO of the radio station at the time claimed that John Skipper, the head of ESPN, called and said, uh, you can't have this show. And w- John Skipper claims he never made that call. So there is a lot of thought that maybe somebody within the football organization could have <laughs> made that call and fooled, let's be honest, <laughs> A guy that was pretty foolable. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's that's going to be in the book. That'll be in Andy's book or your column about 980. <laughs> you can never oh, you guarantee. I, please I guarantee that'll be in there. The, you know, it just the, the chapter is the call. <laughs> I'll never forget when he asked me, and I said, I don't know if it was him or not, but you should use the opportunity. Um, anyway, uh, he was, I mean, he was making a lot of calls back then. Maybe, I mean, Andy, I'll I'll tell you who he loved. I'll tell you who, who loved to have conversations with him. Andy Reed, Andy Reed loved the conversations with Bruce. Woo. (laughs) We got Alex on the books for how much? Yeah, we got it. We're going (laughs) to, we got to trade him. Who should we call? Oh, yeah, they just fucked up the cousin situation. He's going to be looking to cover his ass. We did it with McNabb. Let's do it again. Hey, Bruce, it's Andy. How you doing? Hey, I, I'm telling you, cousins, I wouldn't worry about that. Alex Smith can play that position, man. He can do it. You guys are, by the way, you guys are close. You're really close. You're close to something there. Yeah. You got something close. going on, and you take this veteran quarterback. What do you need? Um, well, we, you know, uh, we'll give you a third for, for, uh, for, for Alex. Yeah. We need that, that good guy, that rookie that played really well, Kendall Fuller. Ah, okay. By the way, uh, because we like Alex here in Kansas city, you should probably give him a big contract extension too. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. You know, what's funny is that, I mean, that look, I'm assuming that the whole Bruce Allen, John Moog thing where they were either texting or on the phone for hours at a time, that that was not abnormal for Bruce. I think that's a reasonable assumption. I think that's the, that's the way he is. So it's so ironic that he told Doug Williams not to answer his phone. <laughs> that is so true. Remember Doug's? Doug said it. Yes. He said, yes. uh, we, I was told not to answer my phone. Um yeah, that's because Bruce didn't want anyone interfering with his phone call. No. You know, I, I actually wonder, and I should have asked Jay this. I think I sort of did, though. If you were, had been consulted, which you weren't, 
what would you have said? And and I think I did because he said, I, I liked Alex. I always liked Alex. But, you know, he then went into – but Andy Reid, you know, got the better part of that deal because a lot of people felt there was a chance that Alex Smith would be released. You know, it's the same situation. I've explained this before um, with Marcus Mariota in – with the Raiders, Mariota's got this contract that the Raiders can't afford, so teams know that. But if there's more than one team interested, to ensure that you get them, you're going to have to give up something. Now, the issue I think Jay had is, you know, uh, they can't keep him. We have the leverage in the negotiation, which is something that um, certainly Dan was never good at. You know, Dan didn't even want to think about leverage. Dan wanted to eliminate all competitors by overpaying by a lot, and that's what they did for the first 10 years. And then Bruce actually went the other way. Bruce, you know, offered a lot less, at least on free agents, for, you know, bad players. But I don't know. Um, The bottom line is, you know, it wasn't the greatest of fit, you know, Alex and Jay. Um, no, it wasn't. just like Josh Norman wasn't the greatest to fit, but I had, I asked him, I asked Jay about that and he said, yeah, but we desperately needed a corner. We needed defense. That, that, that was one of the other things that we didn't talk about. And Cooley and I didn't talk about it either. Him just really, like I said, what about Wade Phillips? Like instead of, you know, Joe Barry. And he basically said, look, the, we were aging. We were really, really bad on defense. We didn't have anything on defense. He's like, no coach were you going to bring in that was going to really fix the fact that we just didn't have any talent, you know? And that's one of the reasons they did make the move for Josh Norman. And even though it may not have been the best fit, you know, they needed some talent. And that's, and he said, that's why, you know, John Allen, Deron Payne, back-to-back drafts, some more defensive players, we needed to get younger and better on defense because, you know, as he admitted, basically, if we had had, you know, an average defense in 2015, 2016, we would have been, you know, pretty damn good team. And they would have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, look, Alex Smith, we'll never forget what you came back from. And it is an incredible story, an incredible story to cite with, you know, parents who are telling young people or whatever it is, you know, the, the resilience thing, the bouncing back thing, the never giving up thing, all of the cliches that fit what Alex Smith did. But beyond that, I, I would just say I was absolutely floored at what you were able to do this year. That I mean, I, I was dead wrong. So were so many others, obviously. But you played you played well. You know, that Detroit game was a good game. The Pittsburgh second half, good game. The Thanksgiving Day game against the Cowboys. These aren't memorable games. Um, but, you know, you were a big part uh, of, you know, a 7-9 a, a and nine season that ended up with a playoff uh, game. And look, g- given the frequency of uh, infrequency of playoff games you know with this franchise we can we can name them all you know over the last 20 years because there just haven't hardly been there hardly been any of them so if it's another five years before they go back to the postseason hopefully that's not true we're going to remember that they you know it was Taylor Heineke against Tampa but you know that team went seven and nine and went to the postseason now real quickly Tommy I had several people um, say that there was a conversation, I think it was on our, on our station, about whether or not Alex Smith is a ring of fame guy. Uh, the answer to that is absolutely not. I mean, he, didn't, he, wouldn't, he was here for a cup of coffee, basically. He played in 16 games. 
No, 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 no. It's, that's ridiculous. Alex Smith is not a Ring of Fame guy because he came back uh, from the injury. That's an incredible story. But Alex yeah, Smith, I mean, <laughs> come on. I mean, does anybody actually get okay? His overall record of eleven and five or eleven and six or whatever it was in the games he played in, yeah, comparative to the quarterbacks that have been here under the Snyder era, it's great. Um, what? How do we do? How many playoff games did let's we win? Put, let's put Todd Collins in there while we're at it. He has a pretty good one loss record. I Todd Collins won four four and a half games basically in relief, yeah. and nearly yeah. you know they were had a chance late in that playoff game against Seattle. Yeah. So let's yeah, let's put Todd Collins in. Think Cousins will be in the Ring of Fame one day. <laughs> he owns seven franchise passing records. That's that's true. That's amazing. And that will never happen. That'll never happen as long as Snyder's that will the owner. Never happen. Never. That'll never happen. Uh-uh. Uh I I wanted to get to your column. I also wanted to share with you a Wilt Chamberlain statistic that I don't know that you've heard about, and we will do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So first of all, Tommy, did you know that um, it was uh, exactly um, f- 59 years ago uh, that Wilt Chamberlain had 100 points in Hershey, Pennsylvania? 59 years ago to the yeah. day, March 2nd. I'm going to tell you that I did not yeah. know that. I stumbled onto it this morning because I sort of got down the rabbit hole, um, went down the rabbit hole of Wilt Chamberlain statistics and the reason I did that is because my son sent me this story that there was a game that he played on March 18th, 1968. Uh, I think it was against the Knicks. Um, and somebody went back, and there was a complete highlight film of that game. And back then, steals and block shots were not a statistic that were kept. And so on that particular night, um, actually, I'm sorry, it was against the Lakers. They went back, and they believe that the first ever recorded quintuple double um, was found. That on that particular night against the Lakers, the Philadelphia 76ers at the time, Will Chamberlain was playing for the 76ers, had 53 points, 32 rebounds, 14 assists, 11 steals, 
and 24 block shots. 24 in 48 minutes. In a one. I mean, this is this is a guy who I try to tell people there's no other athlete like him in in our lifetime. 24 block no shots? Are you kidding me? A good night well, for a team the, is like seven block shots. You've heard the story that uh, when he was 43 playing a pickup game that Magic Johnson was in, at one point Magic uh, uh, drove on him and managed to score, and I guess there was some you know back-and-forth uh, trash-talking, and then Will announced to the whole court, that nobody else was going to be making a shot down at his end of the bathroom. <laughs> and nobody did. He blocked every single – well, he blocked every one of Magic's shots after that. Now, some of them may have been goaltending, you know, under, under, the, uh, under the rules, but no one made a shot. And he was 43 when he did this. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. I've never it heard is. of 24 block shots by a player – but that was a quintuple, uh, quintuple double um, on March 18th, 1968. You know, the other thing is I we've done this before with Wilt in particular because I don't know that there's any sport, team sport, where the statistics of one player are so much different than the rest of every player that's ever played the sport like there is with Wilt and everybody else in NBA history. I mean, most of you know, you know, he averaged 50 and 25 one year. He averaged 50 and 25. That was his average 50.4 points per game, 25.7 rebounds a game. And it, it appears as if they had been keeping steals and block shots that he may have averaged double-digit block shots and, and double-digit steals as well. I mean, th- this guy's the, the... That's, that's His numbers are so uh, astounding that I think sometimes they're dismissed, you know, because of the era. And I point out to people, because I did the research on this, he played against 14 Hall of Fame centers during his career. Right. 14 guys who played center wound up in, in, in the Naismith Hall of Fame who played against Wilt. Anyway, um, somehow I started to go down this path after getting, reading that, that thing about the quintuple uh, double and found that it was the anniversary of the 100-point game, which we both know because Sonny told us. Sonny was there that night. Sonny Jurgensen yes. was there that night. He had played... Um, a a a pre uh, a charity game prior to the game that they played that night against um, against the Knicks. You were not on that Knicks team, um, but they beat the Knicks that night uh, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. The night that Wilt scored a hundred on March second, nineteen sixty two. Wow! And Sonny was playing for the Eagles charity right. team at exactly. that point. Exactly. Yeah. Chamberlain in that game had twenty five rebounds too, and. He was 36 of 63 from the field, so he shot 57% from the field. He was also, for him, this was a, a, an aberration. He was 28 of 32 from the free throw line. I was mentioning yeah. this morning that if Chamberlain hadn't been such a horrific free throw shooter for his career, he was a, um, a, a 51% free throw shooter for his career. That if he had been just a bad free throw shooter, he would have probably averaged 52 or 53 that year. Um, that he probably. averaged 50. 
Um, it's amazing uh, to, to look at that stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, you wrote a column. Tell everybody about it. Well, I wrote a column, and, you know, we discussed this a little bit. Yeah, we did. In the previous podcast. And, uh, and uh, rightfully so, I'll tell you, like, a lot of my ideas I get for writing columns come out of conversations with you uh, that we've had on the radio show. And the podcast. I've so n- sudden, I've noticed over the years, but you've never actually acknowledged that. So okay, well, it's, it's no shame in acknowledging it. I mean, you know. It's <laughs> well, not like, it's, then why uh, is this the first time that you've acknowledged it? I've noticed that over well, the years. I have said to you when, we, especially when we've been together, that's a column, and I could see you sitting over there, you know, typing into your thing. And and by the way, to be fair, many of your columns. Um, and many of your conversations have then led to topics on the radio show. I would say it's at least a half dozen times a week I, re- I reference you or something you said and, and an idea that you gave. But what's, I, what's interesting is you've never done that uh, for me, and you've never acknowledged it, even though I have read a lot of your columns, and I've said, yep, yeah, he got that one when we were talking yesterday. Not a big deal. I'm happy to help. Oh, anyway, well, it, it, go it, ahead. It, it must be. It just must be the atmosphere I'm in right now, feeling so laid back and generous. Right. So but the column is yeah. about the Beth Wilkinson report, and last week there was a letter written by the attorney representing a group of the women who have accused the Washington football team of sexual harassment while they were employed there. Uh, the woman, the attorney, wrote a letter to Roger Goodell basically saying you need to make this report public when it's when it's done you know you can't you can't hide it It, it's got to be released to the public and i pointed out if it's not then jason wright and ron rivera should be the first ones to speak up and say hey roger this isn't right you need to make this public because we came in under the cloak of transparency and values and accountability and we, 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 we sang those words to anyone who would listen. And this is none of those. Holding, you know, not releasing that report is not accountability, it's not transparency, it's not good values. So I just point, I, I basically squeeze their, squeeze them a little bit for, you know, for, for what they, what they proclaimed when they first took over here in Washington. Now, Ron Rivera, he, I mean, I feel bad for him because he, he didn't sign on for this kind of thing. I mean, this, this all broke while he was, you know, well, after he had been hired as, as the head coach. But uh, Rivera, in his public comments, made it clear that, you know, people need to be held accountable. And he talked about, quote I use, that he wouldn't put, you know, his daughter works for the team, and he wouldn't put up with something like this when it came to his daughter. And I pointed out, well, all these women are somebody's daughters. And uh, I just, obviously, do I think they would? Do I think that they would turn around and say, Roger, you're wrong, this needs to be made public? No, I don't. But I just wanted to squeeze them a little bit for what they had proclaimed earlier uh, in case they have to actually defend it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we talked about this the other day, but 
there may be something that prevents them from being transparent. There may be something that prevents them from making it public. And it may be those women who were, um, you know, asked um, to, uh, you know, to be interviewed by Beth Wilkinson, who said, I'll do it on the condition of anonymity or I'll do it on the condition that my name's redacted or I'll do it on the condition that this is not made public. I mean, there may be some of that involved. As many of the women that want it to be made public and transparent, including some of the women who wouldn't mind their names being in in the report and becoming public if we don't know them already, um, there are probably some that want to be protected from that. That has nothing to do with releasing the public contents of the report. I mean, basically, you can get around that. And I, I would think that, you know, it'd be a very small amount that wouldn't want that report public. Well, I don't know if it would be a small amount or not. I would agree with what you said. There should be a, a way to get around it. Like, right. you know, essentially referring to um, the person who said whatever she said is as a Jane Doe, as an example. Yeah. You know, having non-identifying yeah. information in there. You know, but I, 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 don't, I, I don't know... I mean, I understand. It's a league investigation. It's Beth Wilkinson. You pointed it out the other day. You pointed it out in your story about how she's worked for the league before and that you are very skeptical about what you're going to get from the league and from her, even though she has been described as like a first-rate investigator, attorney, et cetera, by a lot of people out there. But I understand what you're saying, and I'm not dismissing it at all. Um, if they don't make it public, it'll just be interesting to see what the explanation as to why they can't make it public. Because if it's not a good explanation, um, then there will be massive demand for it. And I, and I, and I, maybe I'm wrong. And this would obviously be for you know lawyers to to answer. But I don't know why they couldn't make it public with just non-identifying information referring to women who don't want their names. Um, made public is Jane Doe number one, Jane Doe number two, etc. I would agree. I would agree there's a way to do it. And, you know, we have no indication that they won't make it public. Well, yes, yes, yes we do. Yes, we do. That story, really? yeah, that story with those women well, yeah, I guess, is an indication yeah, that okay. they have a sense that it's not going to be made public. Right, right. They have a fear and they felt the need to put pressure on the NFL because they have a fear and a concern that it won't be made public. You're right. That's true. I mean, I'm sure that didn't come out of thin air that uh, there, there's a reason for Gloria that. Gloria Allred, uh, Lisa Banks, all these attorneys, yeah. they understand what's going on, and they wanted that story yeah. out there to try to well, almost right. jump you know, them, it, 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 you know, announcing that it's not going to be made public. Yes. I think you're right, and I think that was smarter them to do because it puts pressure back on the NFL. I don't know if the NFL actually feels that kind of pressure, but it does put the pressure back on them. Yeah. Uh, you did see the Adam Schefter um, comment the other day on the Michael K. show, right, that he says that Snyder is n- – there's no chance he will sell the team um, on his own volition. Right, but he also did point out uh, – he also did bring up the fact that the NFL, he also brought the Jerry Richardson case as a case where the owner was basically forced to sell. He didn't discount that. Right. You know, there's so, there's so much going on because there's like this culture thing going on over here. 
Uh, look, first of all, as we I think we mentioned before, it is it does seem like the football operation is moving along and that this is not necessarily a distraction to the football situation. Although, to let's be clear here, it may be a distraction to potential free agents and their agents. Agents could be telling, you know, um, Kenny Galladay as an example, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty on this, on the other side of that building there. Ron's a great guy. They got a great defense and you know, they just traded for Sam Darnold or whatever, um, or they just, you know, added, uh, you know, Marcus Mariota, or they just moved up to dr- whatever. But uh, I still think that there's there's a stigma, you know, associated with it, and I think agents understand that. Like, agents can say to their clients, there's a lot of stuff going on here, and, you know, I don't know if you want to be in an organization where the ownership is squabbling, you know, and there's these investigations about the culture. Like, it may just be cleaner to go here. You know, so I do think that the, the the two can blend, and the two, you know, the the all the bad stuff can influence the football stuff. With that said, so um, the Wilkins Wilkinson thing is one, you know, and the the culture and whatever comes out of that is is a big deal. But I still find that this, you know, um, relationship deterioration between Snyder and the three minority owners. And the accusations about a smear campaign are really the most fascinating to follow. You know, here are all these, you know, billionaires, if not, you know, hundreds of millionaire. Um, I don't know what Rothman and and Shar are. Fred Smith and Dan are obviously billionaires. Dan, a billionaire um, from a... Um, from an overall standpoint, not liquidity standpoint, which I think is an interesting part of this whole story that we are underestimating, and that is the lack of liquidity that I've been told he has and how he cannot borrow. Um, he can't afford to pay out his his uh, minority shareholders, and he can't borrow to, to, to buy them out because he's already reached the point in which the league allows you to finance a certain level of your ownership. But I do think that the whole Dwight Shar and now Bruce Allen and the Moog thing and the Indian company, like this is – if Dwight Shar and Bruce Allen participated in a smear campaign where they made up lies and used an, used an intermediary and funded this through this company in India, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Whether it's a civil case or a criminal case, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Look at F- F- FC Barcelona. Uh, it's going through a similar situation where, part, I mean, their their former team president just got arrested. And I'm hoping I get this right because it is soccer, and I barely you know, recognize that it existed. <laughs> but uh, but they they used to they were using their social media account. To uh, make up stuff about players who had fallen out of favor with them, or you know other issues, so they 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 had engineered a a smear campaign against players that is part of the reason they're in big trouble over there. You know, you know the ironic thing is, and this would be so Washington football, and this would be so frustrating for fans that want whatever the the. The end game of all this is they want Snyder out. Okay, this is this would be though the Washington football part that's so bizarre. He could be the victim in this. Exactly, 
Exactly. That's my point, is that if Shar and Bruce Allen, if they are actually guilty of what he's accusing them of, um, he's going to win big. Like Maybe it's some sort of settlement or some sort of civil case, but this is going to be the thing where he says, look what they were trying to do to me. Look what, and by the way, all the while we've been making all these changes to fix the culture. And I hired Ron Rivera, what a great man, and Jason Wright. And we are the, by the way, we are the most diverse organization at high levels of this organization than any in the league. It's um, on the other hand, on the other hand, I know we joke about this, but I'm not so sure how far fetched this is as a defense. How can you defame such a lowly respected individual? By mentioning Jeffrey Epstein in the same sentence with you. Well, <laughs> I, I... I mean, I, that's, you know, that's how. To, to suggest okay. that you were a sex trafficker, to suggest that you were running drugs and drug parties and sex parties which, by the way, is the least amount, sex trafficking, Jeffrey Epstein ties. Come on, Tom. Here's, here's a question for your next poll, okay? <laughs> if, if, if you knew that a smear campaign would get rid of Dan Snyder, would you approve of it? Well, I think if the, you're a Washington football fan... I think fan, the answer would and, be yes. Absolutely. Here's another question for you. If they knew that another, all this resulted here's another in question. Snyder getting out... Here's, an, here's another question for you. Let's say the Wilkinson report doesn't produce a smoking gun, doesn't produce a bombshell. Um, And there's some discussion about what the organization's been doing since July and Jason Wright and, you know, all of those things. And, you know, maybe they find the organization and maybe they, I don't know, dock it a a fifth round pick in 2023 or something, whatever. Um, and Dan continues to proceed against the minority owners, specifically Dwight Shar and the company in India and Bruce Allen now. And this produces, you know, the result that you suggested that, um, you know, they prove in, in a court of law that these guys set out to fund a campaign to smear him with misinformation. And then let's also say that that case sort of resolves at the same time that Ron Rivera's team next year is 10-6 and and they've just won a playoff game. (laughs) Is there any possibility at any point for any reason down the road where you could see a fan base tolerate him? I'm not saying embrace him or like him, but tolerate him. I have faith in the aura of self-destruction. I have faith that just around the corner, there is a whole new screw-up that we haven't even thought of yet involving this owner and this football organization that will keep anybody from moving on and putting the, the dark history of this team behind it. You're always one step away with this guy from the next scandal. So I have full confidence that that will not happen because he will screw up again. Yeah. I I mean, no one was ever going to love any of the Ursays, regardless of the Colts, 
success. They were never going to get credit for it, right? Um, and and really, that that's the example, you know, right? Am I wrong or am I missing one? The example of well, the Bidwells. The, the sun it, is a different. The sun is a different case than the old man. Uh, true, the old man was just a a a mean spirited, just you know. Yes. He was, he was, I mean, he he had some, well, he picked up a team and moved it from a city that loved it in the middle of the yeah. night, you know, without looking anybody in the face and doing it. Bill Bidwell was one cheap-ass owner, but his son, who, by the way, is a Georgetown prep grad here, um, so was, so was the father, um, but his son appears to be a decent owner, and the Cardinals have had some success over the years. But I think also the Arizona fan base, if they had been in St. Louis forever, uh, you know, then they didn't like the Bidwells. Nobody did, right? But yeah. n- n- I don't know. I don't know that there's ever been an owner in the f- in football that's been as despised as Dan Snyder. Angelos may be at the same level for Orioles fans. And and Dolan and Dolan uh, for the Knicks York, fans, even though the Knicks, Knicks are playing well, yeah. And yeah, Stein Steinbrenner but, was more polarizing. Wouldn't you agree or not? Yeah, it's the Steinbrenner. Look, Steinbrenner won a World Series, right? Two World Series within the first five or six years he owned the team, right? So I mean, Cowboy I mean, fans don't love Jerry. Put up with him. Huh? Most Cowboy fans can't stand Jerry. They think he's ruined yeah. it for them. Yeah, well, they're right. It, 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 uh, he brought it to him, and then he took it away uh, with the whole falling out with with Jimmy Johnson. But are you mean to tell me that we that Washington fans have to wait until Dan Snyder's son gets old enough to own the team? I don't know. Maybe you know the the, the one story. And what's he going to do? You know what he's going to do? He's going to hire Dwayne Haskins as his head coach. <laughs> Boy, you know, sometimes when we have these conversations, even though sometimes there's information that furthers the story, I sometimes just wonder, like, it's always going to be something, to your point. And really, I don't know, this is the off season, but it's it's that point in which we're going to start talking about the football team, free agency, the draft, leading up to the draft. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I was thinking about, you know, somebody called me at the end of the show that I did with Cooley yesterday and said, you know, don't forget about this $1.6 million settlement. You know, that was with the incident on Snyder's private plane coming back from the Country Music Awards in Las Vegas. You know, there was um, an allegation yeah. of sexual misconduct against him specifically from this female employee that was on the plane. Um, the team had it investigated, remember, inside and outside the organization. The in- investigation basically said there was no wrongdoing by Snyder, but they settled it anyway. You know, I'm sure that you get to a point where, you know, even if the results are positive based on an investigation, it's better that it doesn't come out and it's worth $1.6 million to, you know, somebody who's worth billions, I guess. I know that, but that's, that's a hefty price tag. For a, a, a case, you know you're innocent in. Yeah, and that that that's the one that involved David Donovan, and I, you know these are like these are the stories that I'd like more clarification on. Um, I, I would think that Wilkinson's trying to get to the bottom of it. I don't know if you can get to the bottom of a settled case, you know, where there is confidentiality, 
you know, which is part of that agreement, I'm sure. You're not giving somebody $1.6 million without confidentiality, whether you were right or wrong. Um, yeah, but if the league is doing the investigation, uh, you would think that they'd be able to pressure Snyder to uh, allow people involved in the settlement to uh, speak. Right. Ultim- it's all, it's, it's, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm telling you, yeah. it's exhausting in a way. Uh, all right, I want to finish up the show with just a couple of thoughts um, on uh, some hoops. We'll do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So I had Phil Chenier on the show this morning, Tommy. Um, I would urge you all, to, if you just go to the uh, radio.com app or the team980.com and listen to it. I, I, think he's one of the, I think he's one of the nicest people um, that you know, we've ever had on or we've had on you know, individually. I just love having a conversation with Phil Chenier. It, for me, ends up being part uh, of sort of when he played because I remember those teams. Those are the first teams I remember. Um, but I really enjoyed that. You know so- what he'd be good at? He'd be good at doing uh, analysis of Wizards games. <laughs> he'd be pretty good at that, yeah. I don't know. They I should try him out. I think he'd be good at that. Um, anyway, uh, I was going to mention that the Wizards, um, go listen to that. Also, by the way, a reminder, if you haven't subscribed, subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't rated or reviewed us, if you could do that as well. I hear all the time from our group who is helping us you know, sell the advertising, which we clearly need, um, that it really helps when you rate and review it on iTunes in particular, if that's where you're listening to it. Um, because that's what essentially drives uh, the ranking, and that helps them sell. So if you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. Um, I know a lot of you did that from the very beginning, and I appreciate it. And if you've already done it, understood. You know, you don't have to do it again. But if you haven't done it, you can take literally 30 seconds and hit five stars on the rating and write a quick review that says, love the show. Um, that would be helpful. So I wanted to mention real quickly, so the Wizards – 
I talked about this with with Cooley yesterday, Tommy. Um, they were the wrong side Saturday against Minnesota when they were just a four-point favorite against one of the worst teams in the NBA, if not the worst teams. Um, and they overcame that. They whipped uh, Minnesota. They were a seven-point dog at, at Boston without Jalen Brown playing. They looked totally, to me, like the wrong side because they shouldn't have been getting that many points. The contrarian in me said, I thought Boston was going to win big. They didn't. They won by a point. Tonight at home against Memphis, they're an underdog. Memphis, who's a 500 team, is a one-point favorite, and they did beat the Clippers recently, and they ran by the Rockets recently. Uh, But the whole world's betting the Wizards again. Like the Wizards on Saturday night and then against the Celtics were the public play, and they covered. They're the public play again tonight by a lot. And I don't know if the public can win three straight times on a team. I might have Memphis tonight laying the point. And I hate doing that because I'm actually really starting to get uh, excited about this Wizards team and watching it. Um, But, uh, boy, Memphis looks right. Uh, That little uh, what I would call strong lean is brought to you by MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they will match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. I would get on MyBookie right now, especially with March Madness right around the corner. Even if you have a site already, you get the free money to play with, and um, you get a place where you can comparison shop. MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. Um, also just wanted to mention, I know I did this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to read to you real quickly, um, a text from a friend of mine who's very, who was close to the Maryland program for years. Um, and he just, he wrote, look, the Turgeon conversation is fascinating right now. I know you like him a lot, but would you extend him based on regular season success? At the end of the day, it's a March sport. And after 10 seasons, um, Mark is Mark has a two and five record in the Big Ten tournament and a four and four record in the NCAA tournament, um, and that can't be overlooked. Um, and then uh, you know I texted him back saying yes, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that. Um, what about if a guy like John Beeline was available? Um, no, I want Mark Turgeon extended. I want Damon Evans to extend Mark Turgeon now. I think he should have done it last year. Mark Turgeon, I can say two things and mean both of them. One of them is obvious. He hasn't had enough success in March. For a basketball program like Maryland, one Sweet 16 in nine seasons isn't enough. I concede that. The Big Ten tournament results, to be honest with you, I don't really care about those as much. I think it's fun to watch the big tournament. I want them to do well. The NCAA tournament is what matters. And he's been to the Sweet 16 one time and and beat Hawaii to get there because Hawaii had a first-round upset. And so they were playing you know, a 14 seed, I think it was, in the second round to get to the Sweet 16 where they lost to Kansas. Um, I, I agree that it's not been enough in March. But I also believe this. He's a good coach. And he's a coach that's improving. And last year was a team that I think would have had at least a Sweet 16 result, if not further. And right now, he's about to get to the tournament for the sixth time 
in seven years. Six out of seven. That, and by the way, the, the one year they didn't make it, they were within a game. They needed to win a game to get in, and they lost to Northwestern in that quarterfinal round at the Verizon Center, actually, um, uh, in the first round of that tournament, uh, and that that caused them to miss the only time they've missed in seven years. They're going to make the tournament this year. Uh, you know, even going beyond the fact that this might be his best coaching job, he's a good coach, Tom. He's a good coach. I would extend him, and I would also remind everybody that Gary Williams did not get to his first Final Four until his 11th season in Maryland, 10th. Didn't win the national championship until his 10th or 11th season in, Washington, in at Maryland. So, I don't know. I think you can always do worse. I know basketball. I, 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 I love sports. There's no sport that we talk about on this podcast or on the radio show that I actually am super familiar with how it works because I've coached it for 30 years. He's a good college basketball coach. Really good right now. And getting better. So, no. And then the last thing I would say, and I forget if I said this yesterday to Cooley, but I would say it to you because I, I, I do feel this. I think that sometimes the journey to the tournament, these games like the game Sunday against Michigan State, Tommy, that was super intense to watch if you're a fan, and that win, and the win last week against Rutgers, and the win against Purdue, and the win against Wisconsin and Illinois, that... The casual fan tunes in in March, but somebody like me is enjoy, has really enjoyed the regular seasons. You know, the tournament's one and done. We see upsets in this thing all the time. And who knows, maybe they're, maybe they're the team that's going to pull off an upset or two when they get there because they're good enough and playing well enough to win a couple of games if the draw breaks right for them. But I love the journey, and I think it's underappreciated the, these big games that this coach and this program plays year in and year out in a great league. And I I think it just goes way underappreciated. And sometimes I'm like, just sit back and enjoy it. Last year, winning at Illinois on a Friday night for first place on national TV, winning at the buzzer against Indiana, you know, winning that game at, at, at in East Lansing when Cowan had three threes in the final two minutes and they beat Michigan State on the road, you know, the, the, beating Michigan to, to, to clinch the regular season share of the Big Ten title. Like, I don't know. I enjoy that. I want March success too, I want it badly. And I want it for him, I want it for me, I want it for everybody. But uh, you're just not going to change my mind about him as a coach. I talk to too many coaches who say things like, what is wrong with some of your fans? Do they have any idea what coaches think of him? He is so well-respected. Let me ask you this now. Look, I defer to you on this because I've, I've watched Maryland once this year. And uh, you're much more invested in this and much more knowledgeable about it than I am. I would just ask you this. What if you could get somebody better? That's a bit. So I would, I'll indulge that conversation with anybody. And I'll say, so who are you going to get? If you run him, who are you going to get? And you start looking at it. Are you going to get Chris Beard from Texas Tech? Nope. He makes $4.5 million a year at Texas Tech after taking that team to the NCAA Finals two years ago in that overtime loss to Virginia. 
Is he an excellent coach? Excellent. I would, you know what? If Chris Beard said he was coming here, I would certainly consider it. I think he's great and he's young and, and the whole thing. John Beeline, is he coming here? You know what? Beeline might want this job if he wants back into college coaching. It's the league he's been in. It's a massive big-time basketball program job. It's important. But how old is John Beeline? How many years do you have left with John Beeline being your coach? You know, are you are you going to go get Nate Oates from Alabama? Nope, because they're going to tear up his contract and give him a big one too. You know, here's the problem with Maryland. It is a big time basketball job, Tommy. But you know, as we've you know gotten through the last ten years of the football playoff, you know, uh, system, the amount of dollars that football's generating at football schools allows them to overpay their basketball coaches if they really like them. At Texas Tech, you don't think Maryland's a better basketball school than Texas Tech? But do you think that Damon Evans can offer Chris Beard $4.5 million a year? He can't. Turgeon doesn't make well, anywhere near that. that. Ten, where's all that Big Ten money? Yeah, well, it's, you know, you got to have a Big Ten football program like Ohio State. And somebody's mentioned to me Thad Mata. I don't want Thad Mata over Mark Turgeon. No way. What did he win at Ohio State? Oh, well, he got he did get to a championship game. He did. He did get to a championship game. Did he get to more than a championship game? I don't know if he did or not. I just pulled up his overall record at Ohio State. Uh, missed the tournament his last two years, which is why he ended up leaving. He got to the Final Four in 2011-2012 and was the runner-up to Florida, right? They lost to Florida um, in 2006-2007 with the big dude at center that ended up having the uh, busted-up foot um, that didn't allow him. Greg Odom. Greg Odom, thank you. Good job. Yeah. That's a pretty that's a pretty good record, though. Yep. I don't want him. I don't want Thad Mata. Yeah. How, how old's Thad Mata? I, you know, I've heard from various people that there are a lot of people, you know, and names like Thad Mata that would jump at the chance to coach at Maryland. I just don't think that's an upgrade at all. I don't think Mata is. Beeline was always one of my favorite coaches, but you know, you know, are you going to hire? I mean, how old is John Beeline? He's got to be in his seventies now, doesn't he? he I don't know. He's sixty-eight years old. What a mistake that was for him to go to Cleveland for for, for yeah. not even a full year, right? Did he even last the full year? I don't even. I forget. I don't recall. He he got paid though, but he was getting paid at Michigan yeah. too. I I I'm happy to. Um, to have that conversation, I just think when you get down to what's realistic, it's also different, Tommy, than it used to be because coaches in places where they're comfortable are getting paid. And I'm talking about smaller places. You know, the you know we saw it with Shaka Smart at VCU before he eventually took massive money to go to Texas, right? We've seen it, you know, in places where coaches are like, yeah, that's a bigger basketball program and a better league, but... You know they've taken they're taking good care of me, and I'm living in you know whatever small town with half the cost of living of you know Washington D.C. and they're paying me two million bucks a year. So we've seen less of that over the years, where the up and comer just automatically jumps at the first gig. You know, um, and, and I I don't know, like I I always use NC State as the as, as the uh, as my as my be careful of what you wish for, because NC State's basketball fans 
um, are very similar to Maryland. You know, they've won two national championships. They really believe that their program, you know, um, is, uh, is a, you know, not, it's not a blue blood, but it's like in that next tier or it should be in that next tier and it should be competing for, you know, final fours every once in a while and going to the tournament every year. And, you know, they've been, they've been in a, a, a period of time where it's been rough for them. I mean, really rough for them. Um, you know, you had Mark Gottfried that got that team to some tournaments, and Kevin Keats, actually, who's there right now, is a decent coach. Um, and I think they're on the bubble right now. But Turgeon's about to take the team to the tournament for the sixth time in seven years. Like, to me, what I want, I want every five years to be in the tournament for minimum. You can miss one out of every five years. Be in the tournament four out of five years. And at least... One of those five, four times, I want us to have a legit Final Four national championship chance. I think Maryland should be at least that. You know, a, a team that great. a team that has the talent and has the overall record in seeding. You know, and you had that with Gary for a long period of time, even when he was coming up short. You know, Maryland was always one of those teams, the Steve Francis team, lost in the Sweet 16, but they were one of the two or three teams picked before that tournament to win the whole thing. You know, so you got to have, like last year, Maryland was one of the eight, nine, ten teams thought to be a team that could win the whole thing, and they didn't get a chance to do it, which was unfortunate. But I think, you know, what I would like is every five years I want to be in the tournament every uh, for four out of the five, which, by the way, he's doing right now. And one out of every five, four of those four years at a minute, I want to have a chance to legitimately get to the final four and win a national championship. And last year, he had that team. So he's actually sort of, you know, doing it right now. He's, he, he's doing it. And I would not be surprised at all if this team overachieves when they get to the NCAA tournament. It's playing awfully well right now. But matchups are everything. Matt, you know, if they end up being an eight seed, nine seed, and, you know, they have a tough first round game, and even if they were to win, they have to play Gonzaga in the second round, that could be a problem. Gonzaga and Michigan are so good. So good. Michigan, by the way, plays Illinois tonight, Tommy. Top five matchup, another one in the Big Ten. We've had many of them here recently. Um, Illinois just um, the other day uh, smoked um, – uh, uh, um, who did they beat the other day? They smoked somebody the other day. Uh, Wisconsin. They went to Wisconsin without uh, DeSumo, their best player, and won. They play Michigan tonight, and they're an eight-and-a-half-point underdog. That, that, or it's, actually, I just pulled it up. It's, it's down to seven. It was eight, eight-and-a-half, down to seven. But that tells you just how good they think Michigan is. Illinois is ranked fourth. Michigan's ranked second. And they're a seven-point favorite right now over Illinois. Wouldn't surprise me if they roll tonight. They are, they're really unstoppable. Got another good Big Ten game tonight, Purdue and, and Wisconsin. I'm, you know what Scott said, Scott and I were talking last night, and he said, "Yeah, we're Big Ten people now, aren't we?" And I said, "Yeah, I think we are. I think we are. What's made it easier is that the Big Ten's much better than the ACC and has been the last yeah. couple of years. That's made yeah, it, it easier. Because if I was sitting there in a bad league, you know, I would be God. And, a, and the ACC was the dominant league." I would miss those days, but it's been 
It's been interesting. I asked Turgeon yesterday on the radio show, Tommy, I said, you know, does the Michigan State game feel different for you and the players? Because it does, it's starting to feel that way for me. Like, I, I really want to beat Michigan State. And he said, yeah. He, and he said, it's funny, he said there are a couple of teams, Wisconsin, the teams that have been really good since he's gotten into the league, and he's been one of them. You know, he's the second most winning, he's the second winningest coach right now in the Big Ten behind Izzo. You know, Beeline would be had he, you know, was if he were still there. And I think Painter's probably third. I'm guessing Painter's third. Um, but, uh, but you know, the, the, the Michigan State, you know, they don't have a rival yet. They don't. But they've had some big games, man, here over the last several years. Big games. And Sunday's game really felt big, even though they're not, both of the teams aren't having the year they, years they had last year. But it felt big. And watching that game, and I mentioned this yesterday to Cooley, I don't care what the rankings say, and Maryland's just outside the top 25 now. They've worked their way back up into, you know, like the top 30. I think they got nine or 10 votes in the AP. Um, if they win both their games this week, wouldn't shock, be shocked if they're in the top 25 next week. Um, but those watching those two teams, I can't. I can tell you right now, it's going to be. It would be hard for me to name 15, 20 teams that are definitely better. That's how well both of them were playing going into it. Anyway, I've gone on long enough about this because there are only a few people who care. But I'm glad you uh, stuck with me. What else you got? I got nothing else. I just want to remind people, if they want to read my column, you can go to WashingtonTimes.com, click on sports, or you can find it on my Twitter account uh, or my Facebook page. Uh, And actually, I just wanted to let you know that Alvin Walton, again, has (laughs) shared my column on Facebook. That's awesome. (laughs) I get a kick out of it. That is great. that is awesome, Alvin. If you're just reading Tommy, great. If you're listening to the podcast, <laughs> man, could you hit? You were yeah. flying up and you were hitting people, and God, Coach Joe and Richie loved you. Um, all right, uh, back tomorrow, uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. I just don't know what yet. Uh, enjoy the day. <laughs>